Hello and welcome to our weekly podcast from Faith Point Church, Auckland, New Zealand. We hope you will encounter God afresh in this week's teaching segment. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to hear more, then you can visit us at www.faithpoint.org.nz. And now for today's message. Um, be here, and I love sharing at, at, um, at our Huapai Church. I love sharing with the people here, and I, because this is a um, this is a ploughed land. Is that how you say it? This land has just been ploughed, and it's ready for planting. And uh, there's some things out here in Huapai that West Harbour would never be able to to do, but only this place, Huapai, God has anointed and appointed to do certain things and to be a shining light in this area. And so when God said to us, okay, plant in Huapai, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Let's do that. And so here we are. So James and I have been um, talking about and he's been teaching about, you know, certain things that we want to plant into the soil to, because I'm not a gardener, but I hear tell that if you put things into the, the soil and, and make it strong, the soil strong, then you can grow things into it. Am I right? And all the gardeners said... Yeah, sweet. Oh, sweet. Okay. If I'd have got that bit wrong, I might as well just sit down. So, we, um, so we're talking about, always talking about things that we're going to plant in the huapai soil. So last week, James did First um, John 2, verses 12 to 14, and it says this, The spiritual, spiritual state of a church. I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And I write to you, little children, because you have known the Father. I have written to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. And last year, last week, um, James encouraged us to look at things like, you know, little children. He likened that to young Christians who were just learning to see everything in the kingdom of God, and their eyes were wide open with wonder and amazement. I mean, I'm sure that Deidre could identify with this. When kids see something for the first time, it's like, wow, that is awesome. Except for this kid once that I taught in children's church, a young, young boy, and I told him that God created the heavens and the earth and he just out of nothing he created the stars and the moons and the, and the moons and the moon and he made it, all the animals and this kid went oh not even oh he says to me and I thought you monkey you just ruined my preach anyway you know you see the thing is is that everything about a child is all, always about wide open wonder but the other thing is is that kids they have to be disciplined because they do things and you say to them don't do that that's going to hurt you and they ain't nah and they go and do it anyway and of course they get hurt and then he talked about uh, young men and young women who were learning how to wield uh, the weapons of their warfare against the devil the world and and the flesh how to make good decisions, how to stand in good stead, and how to do the things that will make them make good decisions and find their place in the world. And then he began to talk about older men and women, adults, 
parents who had gone full circle. And these are the ones that because of their experience and because they've gone through a whole lot of stuff, made a lot of mistakes, they've learnt things experientially. And they are able to responsibly reproduce themselves. And I mean responsibly reproduce themselves. And, um, and then he encouraged us, can you figure out which group you belong in? How did you guys do? Yeah, yeah you did good. You figured out who you were and where you fit and where you had to grow to. <laughs> Jeff is going to back being a teenager. Yeah. <laughs> That's probably not good news for your wife, mate. That's the only thing. And so adults are able to responsibly reproduce themselves and others. And because of the many things that they've, um, they've experienced, spiritual growth has taught them some things. And, you know, um, this week I want to look at it from a different viewpoint. I want to look at it from a generational viewpoint. These young kids, that's one generation. There's the, uh, the next, the young men and women, that's another generation. And then there's the older people. But, you know, one of the biggest questions in church today is this. How do we coexist as different generations? How do we do that by not just tolerating each other, not just saying, ah, oh, that's just the young people, you know, they're like that. I'm still trying to figure out what that is. Or, you know, you could be younger and thinking, oh, old people, man, it's hard to change their minds. And so I'm asking the question, because if we are the house of God, how do we coexist together? And like I said, not just tolerating each other, but living in a loving, honouring and supportive community. Because I believe this, I believe God's planted us out here in Huapai to do just that. And more often than not, in church, there's wars waged against from generation to generation. And there have been also uh, different generations that have started churches for them. Do you know what I'm saying? And so everybody from other generations gets shoved to the side. And do you know what I think? That is the devil's best plan. Because the thing is that older people with all their experience and all their knowledge and all their know-how plus younger men and women who are young and vital and looking at new ways to conquer the enemy, plus little kids that look at things with wide open wonder. Do you know, God, he was the one that began this idea of family. And then we get into church and we separate everybody. Hey, what is with that? Really? But we have this ability to live together. And why is it? Because there's this thing that says in Psalm 133, verse 3, it says this. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. And I think to myself, does that say how good and how pleasant it is for young brethren? No. How good and how pleasant it is for old brethren? No. Little baby brethren? No. It says just brethren. 
you and I, you know, you've got a new name. We're the house of God. We're also the brethren. Awesome, eh? I'm a brethren. I feel really good about that. And it's like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon, descending upon the Mount of Zion. For there the Lord commanded the blessing forevermore. So why do we need to dwell together in unity? There's only one reason. So God can command the blessing. As a church here in Huapai, do we want the blessing? Amen. So this is something we've got to work at. Amen. This is something we need to work. This is something I want to work at. Because I know exactly where I'm standing and I'm telling you now, it's not a young men and women. Because we want that blessing in Huapai here. We want God to command the blessing. We want him to bless that we, what we do as we work together as a community of people. We want the wide open wonder of the young. We want the vim and the vigour of the young people. We also, though, we want the wisdom of the older. The wisdom of the older. Um, John, James talks about... John, who's that? James, my husband, he talks about his mentor. His mentor was a man that was like 40 years his senior who fast-tracked him into the things of God. And how did he do that? Was it because he was a war veteran from Vietnam? No. Was it because he was this guy who had this anointing? No. It's because he was an older person and he was willing to mentor James into that place. Because, so I'm saying, we need our older generation. We need our older people in our congregations. Because, the, like I said, the devil's best, his best plan is let's get rid of all the wisdom. Because without all the wisdom... What happens is then the next generation have to go back to scratch. So when we all die, when we're all dead and buried, us old people, when we're all gone, all our wisdom goes with us. Amen? And we don't want that. How many times my parents have both passed away? How many times I wished I'd asked them certain things about certain situations and not have had to go on through the heartache that I have trying to work it out on my own? And this is why God has gifted the older generation to us. How God has gifted the younger generation to us and how God has gifted the babies to us so that we never lose sight of who we are or how we work together as a family. God has made a, a, a way for it. You see, I've heard this. I've heard preachers say this. The reason why we have no revival in New Zealand is because when the older generation are here um, and they want to pass on the wisdom that they have so that the younger can build again on top of that, the platform that they bring, that's how revival comes because it happens. It keeps going on and on and on. But when there's no wisdom to build on, that that generation, the current generation, has to go way back to scratch and start again. So we are building a platform, older people, we're building a platform for the next generation to build on so that there will be revival. 
Hopefully, with our own eyes, we will see it. Hopefully. It's because the younger ones, we are intentionally filling them with the wisdom that God has shown us over the years. And there's some things that life has taught me. There's some things that life has taught me that you that I'm going to pass on to my kids. There's things that life has taught me in the ministry I'm going to pass on to people like Arwen and Hope. And um, I'm I'm going to just pass them on to all these guys. And Holly, sorry Holly. I'm going to pass it on. Because I want them to be the generation that sees revival. And Curtis, mate, yeah. When revival has gotten a hold of you, mate, you're away. You'll be away. And God will begin to see some things that will happen only because you are. And you're willing to submit yourself to the things, the wisdom that comes from the older generation and uh, the vim and the vigour that comes from the generation that you're in, mate. That's what God has for you. When the older generation, uh, the younger generation get a hold of the things that we've learnt and said, right, we won't go down that path because, you know, Pastor Viv and all those guys went down there and they ended up, you know, banging into a brick wall, so let's go the other way. It'll be like, I'll be saying from heaven, yeah, go guys. And the reason why I want to see that, uh, that revival in the next generation is because my kids live there. My kids live there. And then after that, my grandkids will live there. And I want to see my kids, my grandkids, and my siblings' children in the midst of revival because that, that young generation hasn't had to go back. Amen? This is good because otherwise God would have just separated us at the very beginning. We would have had young church, old church. It's like, eh, who wants to go there? And so there's a, there's, God has made a way f- for continuity where generations live as family, passing down lessons learnt and spiritual revelation so the next generation and then the next generation have something to build on rather than having to go back to the very, very beginning. Let's not allow that to happen, older people. Let's not allow that to happen where these guys have got to learn things from scratch, break their hearts, and then try and get up again. They don't need to go there because we're here now. Amen? So God unveils a plan for successful passing on of the baton in the scripture in verse, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. I'm just going to have a drink if I can find my bottle. Owen, can you pass me, please? Thank you. For though you might... Thank you. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers or mothers for that that purpose. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Fathers and mothers in the faith. In previous generations and even now, the place where the fathers and the mothers have stood is practically empty. I can say that from having ministered up and down the country and around the world. There is a move in the young generation to go after God. But this place where I stand, which is because I'm an older woman and because I consider myself a mother in the faith, does that make me anything special? Actually, it just makes me an older woman in the faith. That's it. 
So where I stand, I notice when I go around the world that that place is barely filled. There's hardly anybody there. Hardly any of the older generation that have a heart after God to see the next generation succeed. In actual fact, in a lot of churches that I've been to, there is a wide, wide chasm that sits between the generations and neither generation would dare to cross it. Whereas God has come that we would be together and that there would be freedom amongst us. My heart towards the young generation in our church in West Harbour, I love these guys and I want to see them do really great things. And God spoke to me many years ago and said, these ones that you put your life into, that you invest into, they're going to go further than you. And I thought at the time, but I want to be the one that sees revival. Me, 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 me. And the Lord said to me, what if the only job that I get you to do is to gather the young? I thought, what a stink job that is. Can I have another one, please, Lord, if there's any more up there? You know, because I began to, you know, search my heart about that, and I began to realise that when an athlete rises to the top and is the top of their game, there is hardly anything said about the person that has coached them and coached them and coached them. So God has provided, not instructors in the faith, in Christianity, he's, he's, he's made mothers and fathers in the faith. What's the difference? You know, I want, I want this area where I'm standing as a mother in the faith, I want it to be populated as heaps of mothers in the faith that are saying, can't let me stand with you. I want to pray for that next generation. I want to pray to see revival. I want to see them carrying revival. I want to see them be able to prophesy with authority over any single thing that lives and breathes, as long as it's only got two legs. You know what I'm talking about. I want to see, you know, and God began to feed my spirit about this. I want to see them worship lead, not just for churches, but worship lead out in the marketplace. I want to see them worship lead in conferences. I want to see them worship lead just from the corner of the road, wherever their heart would take them. I want to see that. But also... I want to know when they walk down the street, they're going to come back and they say, look at the things we've done. Thank you. Thank you for feeding into my spirit. I want to see all that. And like I said, up and down the country I've been and there's not hardly any people that are doing this. And I think sometimes our hurt comes because we're not standing in the place we should be. And, you know, that whole thing about God saying to me, you know, are you... You might just gather them, look after them, feed into them, but nobody is going to actually give any accolades to the coach. That's, I'm happy with that because I know that I'm world famous in heaven. Amen? We're all world famous in heaven. And I want to hear the accolades of the Spirit more than anything else. And so I do this because this is how I feel. But, you know, the Scripture, it says... 
Though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, but you do not have fathers or mothers. There's a different relationship between an instructor and a parent. An instructor, an instructor, <laughs> an instructor is, um, is somebody that just gives orders, tells you the information, but there is no love between the two. A parent has love. I was talking to a lady on the aeroplane this morning on my way home. There was, parents will give their all and all for their kids. You ask any parent in this room and you say, what would you give for your kid? And the answer is always the same, whatever it takes. So that's God's plan, that we would have fathers and mothers in the faith. And not only people that are happy to pass on all the wisdom that we have, but also to love young people, love them into the places that God wants to see them put into. But also knowing that the love is reciprocated because there's honour that comes back. Amen. So in the old days, apparently, this is, this is what I've heard because I wasn't back in the olden days, <laughs> she says. In the old days, instructors were overseers of the children, making sure they got to and from school, and they watched, them, watched over the children's behaviour. You can imagine, they were slaves, slaves to the master, but they were not parents at all. They were usually eunuchs, which means young people that they couldn't make whoopee at all. And all the young people look at me and go, what? <laughs> means they couldn't make children. So they're eunuchs. So this was their job. Day in, day out was taking care of the kids and instructing them about what they should do. And so they were quite aggressive. They were quite, they were quite harsh on the kids. And you know, you can come into some churches and it's exactly the same, Hey. Amen. You can, you can just, it's just there's some aggressive teachers, leaders, all that sort of stuff. But there's hardly anybody that will just love unconditionally. And it's been my, my greatest desire has been to, to love this next generation into the place that they should be. But you know, I know this sounds like a lot of sacrifice for us as older people. But this is God's plan. When God has a plan... And we all stick to it. It is good. Amen? I would rather be in the centre of God's will than be out doing something um, not in the place that God wants me to. I would rather be growing up young men and women who are like children to me. Um, James and I have the privilege of knowing a lot from the last generation who have become pastors, who are now travelling themselves and uh, preaching the word of God. Even this weekend, young George and his wife Ania are down in Wanganui and they're out there doing open air, open air preaching and they're with a church and they're preaching with the church and you know, those guys, what, three years ago? They were, they were um, about three years, three or four years ago. He was in prison, and um, she was basically not on this planet. And now look at what God has done. Look at what he's done. And there are people that are, there are young men and women, there's one that was in church this morning in West Harbour, they come off the streets, they get saved, and they're so in love with Jesus. 
you know, this young fella, he was telling me this morning, he's going, hey, Pastor Viv, what's up? You know, it's just like, oh, I say, yeah, up to, bro, up to. I'm trying to get with the lingo. I don't know whether it's working. And um, he says, hey, you want to hear something cool? And I said, yeah, go on, tell me. And he says, you should see our new flash house. They've moved house because it was getting too cramped where they were. So Georgie's taken all these guys into his home and uh, with all of their baggage and some of the baggage he left behind at the old house, but some of it's coming with him. And um, he was saying, you should see it. The deck is huge. You should see my room. He said, it's like a hotel room. It's awesome, positive. And you know, this boy has never had a stable home. Never had a stable home. Has never had his own room. He's never had people that will love him, that will even tell him off when he's being stupid. And he has a job, a real job. One of those, I go to work, you pay me, it's all sweet, you know. He's never had a job like that. The jobs that he used to talk about happened late at night when nobody was in the house and they went through the window. That was his job in them days. (laughs) But, you know, God can do amazing things. And it warms my heart when I see these young people being able to do what they do. But it warms my heart when older people have a, a, have a heart towards God, so much so that they want to see revival in that next generation. Amen. Is this all good? Yeah, cool, sweet. Because I want to really, really encourage us as a church family. I mean, look around. Go on, look around. These people are your whanau. <laughs> These are people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, and we sometimes we come to church and we don't even look in each other's eyes. It's like, you know, oh, hi, how are you? That sort of stuff. But we are family. Um, no, I won't do that. Oh, yeah. We are family. <laughs> We are. We're family. You know? And I look after you. And if you're older than me, I honour you because you are older than me. If you're younger than me, I'll keep an eye out for you and make sure you'll be all right. That you'll be well looked after. And if there's no love in your life, hey, I've got something to give away. So... It's easy to instruct on information, but it takes a father to reproduce a son. An instructor cannot reproduce a son in the house. It takes a father to reproduce a son. Someone that he can trust to carry on the honour and the name throughout the next generation. That's what that's all about. And Timothy was Paul's example. Paul trusted Timothy, and Timothy would always go around making mention of the fact that Paul was, was his spiritual father because they had a relationship that locked them into each other as, you know, as a partnership. Okay. So when there's an absence, when there's an absence of fathers, there is no one to ensure the succession of Christianity in the community of faith. So it is, it falls to us older people, it falls to us to make sure that there is succession of Christianity in the coming generations, succession of inheritance of spiritual things in the coming generation. I know older people in this room, I know you know so much. I wish I could 
stick a tap in your leg and just turn the tap on and get all the information out of you. Whether you've been a Christian for a long time or not, because life experience, how do you experience life? You live it. Amen? You can't just say, well, I have experienced life, and you're like 12. It's sort of like, yeah, whatever. You know, go home. Go home now. That sort of thing. But older people, I wish I could get all that info out of you, drag it out of you, so that I could pass it on. I'd love to write a book about some of your lives. You guys know um, Rain, the Dutchman from the other place? He sits down, he starts telling me stories of when he was in a concentration camp and how they survived. He's amazing. And sometimes time gets away on you and you go, oh, hang on, hurry up, I've got to go and do some stuff, Rain. Because he talks and he tells me these amazing stories about what he's done. And you know, it might take him a bit longer, but nobody else has been there. Nobody in the entire room knows anything about the things that he's seen. That's Rain. You know, if you ever get a chance to sit him down and talk to him about when he was a young man, there are some stories that would just, just about make your hair stand on end. Even you, Arwen, your dreads would stand on end, mate. And um, so we look also, I'm just going to talk about the mothers in Israel. This is a, um, a, 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 a phrase that came up and it, it describes uh, Deborah in the Bible. So if you go to Judges 5, verses 6 to 9, it says this, In the days of Shamgar, son of Anath, in the days of Jael, the highways were deserted and the travellers walked along the byways. Village life ceased, it ceased in Israel until I, Deborah, arose. Arose a mother in Israel. They chose new gods. Then there was war in the gates. Not a shield or spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. My heart is with the rulers of Israel who offered themselves willingly with the people. Bless the Lord. And if you look back to the previous chapter, we see in chapter 4, we see what a woman who calls herself a mother in Israel actually looks like. In Judges 4.4, 4, if you're taking notes, she, has, she was a prophetess. She heard from God. You know, that's a grand title. I am a prophetess. She never said that. She was a prophetess. She heard from God and passed his messages on. You know, I know for a while there, all I wanted was messages for me. They said, I'm going to give it to you because nobody over here is listening to me. So I'll give it to you. You go and tell that person over there, this is the message I have. She was also a judge in Israel, and the people respected her wisdom and advice. So I've got to say this. As an older generation, you have to understand that people will respect your wisdom and advice, but first of all, you have to be able to give it responsibly. Amen. Give advice responsibly. Um, in Judges 4, 8, she says she supported the appointed leader in his obedience to the word of God. In Judges 4, 14, she was an exhorter. You know, that, that scripture, it stops, doesn't start with get up, it just says up. Awesome. Going into my son's room when he's asleep and going up and knowing that he's going to jump up out of bed. That will never happen. Not at the moment. But that's what she did. She would go to him and say up. You know, basically, time to get up. Come on, we've got to go. And he would get up. 
he would get up. And in Judges 4, verse 23, she also helped the leader, who was Barak, to conquer, to conquer the enemy. So this was a mother in Israel. She saw the purposes of God and she put herself in that place, in that position and said, use me, Lord, because, you know, this young fellow here is a bit wet behind the ears, so he needs a bit of help. And God did, used him, used him. And um, when, before Deborah rose up and took her place as a mother in Israel, you know, it says there, the highways were deserted. So there was no trade going on. He actually raised her up because there wasn't a hang of a lot going on in that time. And it also says the travellers walked along the byways. They were not free to travel along the highways. They were restricted, and that was because there was so much happening in that time, people were getting knocked on the head for the things that they wanted. So they didn't travel on the highways. They travelled on the byways. In, in the shadows. And then it says village life ceased and nobody lived in community anymore. They were so isolated from each other and therefore there was no safety, no community life or fellowship. Is this beginning to sound like some of the churches we have been in? Hey? And then it says they chose new gods so they gave themselves to other things and not the worship of the Lord God Almighty. They were becoming disjointed. And there were war in the gates, war amongst themselves. The gates were the place where the fathers of the city sat to advise, rule, and keep the inhabitants safe. There were now none, so they fought amongst themselves. That's what happened. Before she became, that she arose, she actually shook herself and said, no, I've got to arise. She didn't wait for a prod from a leader. She didn't wait for a prod from somebody who said, we need a mother in Israel, you do it. She said, no, no, this is not going to change until I arise. I mean, this was some sort of woman, amen? And you think, well, she was so confident. She was not. She was a woman who was only ever mentioned this time in the Bible. And she said, up, I gotta get up. I gotta arise. This is not good. The house of God is not good. The people of God are not doing what they need to be doing. The people of God are not being able to achieve what they need. I need to get up. I need to get up. I need to pray. I need to go. I need to bring the word of the Lord to these people. I need to help them out. That is the leader. That's all good. But God has appointed me to do this. So she, she also helped the leader to conquer. She, not a shield or spear was seen in, in all Israel, so the people had lost their desire to fight. What happens when the house of God loses its desire to fight in the spirit realm? They start fighting each other. And everything becomes about what he said, what I think she assumes, what he reckons, and I'm not sure about that. I don't like the way he said it. Hey, hey, we are here to fight principalities and powers, aren't we? We fight, like I said, the last time I preached, we fight in the spirit realm. We don't do that other stuff, amen? And so this is when Deborah arose and she said, right, I will arise. 
And this is not just for women. This is for men as well. The men of God in the house are important, are they not, ladies? Yeah. Excuse me? Yeah, yeah, amen. Having men in the house that will arise and take on the authority of the Lord God, you know, and do the things that he's asked them to do. I want to see that. I want to see that here in Huapai. I mean, there's no pressure. How do we, how do we help with that? I, that's my question. Whenever there is a problem and I want to see it fixed, I say, how do I help fix this? And my first thought towards men rising up is to encourage them to take that place and to esteem them, ladies, esteem them as servants of God because that's who they are. And in turn, the men become protectors amongst women, providers amongst women. That's, you know, I've talked to a lot of women. How do you make it happen is it's like the chicken and egg. If he says, if he does something, then I'll do that. Well, it doesn't work like that because this is a threefold called me, you and God. And so as to God, I'll do this. You know, that's my response. And I'm looking, not looking for a response from James. This is my response to God. That's how it works. Amen? So Deborah desire, uh, carried in her heart a desire to support God's appointed leadership. Barak, and as he carried out the plan that God had for the people of Israel, a mother in Israel, she was. And her focus was about raising sons and daughters to who have a heart after God's plan. I take it from the woman's point of view today because that's what I am. That's what I've done. That's what I want to do in the future. And when the battle was won, Deborah and the commanders of the army sang this victory song. Israel's leaders took charge and the people gladly followed. Praise the Lord. So... You know, that's, my, that's what I want to share with you guys tonight. What all I'm saying is this. There is an order in which God puts us together as communities and families. There is an order, and I'm not saying, well, you, know, you go there and you go there, you go there. But there's a reason why we all meet together as different generations in the house of God. There's a reason why the older people turn up with all their life's experiences. There's a reason why the younger men and women turn up and they wielding, learning to wield the spiritual weapons of warfare. And there's a, a reason why these children, and as many of you might know, I supervise the kids' church as well. And my heart's desire is to see, for kids' churches, to see them walking up to adults, putting their hands on them and declaring them healed in Jesus' name. It, it, it's not possible. Come on. Is there a junior Holy Spirit? Well, these kids filled with the Spirit of God too. Same Holy Ghost. Same one as Simon said this morning at uh, church, he said it's the same God that parted the Red Sea. Same, 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 same. Amen. So my challenge to you tonight, if I ever did put together a challenge, is this. I want to know, yes, where do you stand? But I also want to know, will you arise? And take your place. Will you understand that you're not just here because this is a good idea. You're here because you're appointed of God to be here tonight. You're here because God has chosen you for Huapai. Because all of us here 
who have uh, who have come to church tonight. I see all of you amongst us on the on the midweek meetings. And I believe there's a great plan. Jesus started with twelve. We got a head start on the disciples, you guys. Awesome, eh? So why don't you stand to your feet?